Hi guys, it is book week this week, so Zach and I thought it'd be good to share you know, a couple of our favourite financial books, so interesting to see if they match up with yours. Uh, enjoy the show. Everything we talk about on today's podcast is general advice only because we don't know your individual personal situation. Before you act on anything we've spoken about, you should chat to your financial advisor, and if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us. Now, on to today's show. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Collective Podcast. We're your hosts, Pete Pennycott. I'm Zach Masters. Yeah, so another another busy week again. It's always a big week in, in finance and investing, so... What's your big sort of story for the week, Zach? Uh, so mine is the fact that REST um, Super started to change their indexed investment options to be 0% fees. So say that again. So that's 0% investment costs are what they're Yeah, sort of so it doesn't get much cheaper than that. What's um, the catch? What's the, there's got to be a catch. It doesn't here. seem to be one. They've just got their, they're still making money off their admin fees, um, which are $1.30 per week and 0.1% of your balance. So still ridiculously cheap when compared with a lot of other super providers. Um, and then you were saying that there's different ways that they p- can potentially be making money from those index funds. Yeah, and I think what like it's happened for in the States with Charles Schwab where they've actually, they're using, I guess, what they're doing on the buy side to actually um, sell to short sellers as well. So, you know, making money out of there to ultimately give the, you know, the investor and the user of their sort of product and solution a hell of a lot cheaper all up costs so and i think they're also looking to probably potentially get a bit more of the insurance market like that as well because if you're going over there and taking your super with you you're more likely to take up some of their default cover potentially or um yeah look to get some of the cover in there which they obviously make money off as well yeah and i think vo- it's a volume game so it's sort of a, a bit of a land grab where the more people they can get on there sort of uh, solution. It, that makes sense. So they're trying to grow their fund numbers, and you know the admin fee does add up over sort of uh, you know, hundreds of thousands or you know millions of people. So yeah. So if you're one of those people who've been looking at the barefoot investors' <laughs> recommendations for the, as you look at the Host Plus, Balanced, and Care Super, and a few of those other ones that now Rest has really come to the party and kind of slashed those because it doesn't get much cheaper than zero percent. No, well they could pay us to sort of invest in it. That could work. So. <laughs> Um, so this week is obviously book week, so we've seen a lot of photos on social media of their kids dressed up heading to school. Seems like the most fun week going out. So, Fair um, few wears wallies and uh, uh, things like that. Yeah, there's just been some really good costumes. So I saw a very impressive shark costume that someone did. I have not read that actual book, but um, yeah, a lot of paper macheing going on. Uh, so insight into what you've got to come in the next, fuck, <laughs> next few wait. weeks. Oh, I can't wait to get my paper mache game on. And, <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, look, look forward to those Insta stories. Uh, I've been sort of watching with a bit of jealousy that I'm not able to participate just yet. So that's it. So we thought we'd talk about our top three financial books each, um, inspired by Book Week, uh, and kind of why these are our favourite. And um, hopefully that gives you guys out there a, a few um, options to go and start reading and, and learning a, a little bit different to what we talk about. Um, in the podcast week to week. So Pete, what's your first one? Uh, this one's sort of winding the clock back, like a bit of an OG book. Oh, not really OG, but sort of an OG in my sort of um, financial life. So uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, so by Robert Kiyosaki. So this is one I know, I know Rhiannon actually sort of um, read this early on and sort of got her excited about personal finance as well. But um, yeah, I love this one because it was really sort of, you know, it hit home, it was, it was driving sort of, you know, spend less than what you make. Good fundamental rule, timeless principle. I think that's um, 
uh, in come that theme comes through in a, in a lot of the books um, yeah that we're going to mention today the other ones that were really good were sort of you know personal intelligence <coughs> or personal intelligence like just iq is not necessarily going to give you good financial skills either so no you know financial intelligence it does not necessarily come with just being intelligent mm. um and then to be real, to be truly wealthy, you need to take some risks and invest in yourself. So there's sort of a lot of um, self-education, promoting that. So learn, like understand money uh, and embrace it. And he also talks you know, pretty heavily about sort of you know, monitoring what you spend. And he'd like, in this system, it was really all about sort of an Excel spreadsheet. So keeping it simple, but sort of documenting what's going in and out. And when you're going to spend money, spend it on yeah, assets that can actually produce some income. So don't go sort of wasting uh, funds on sort of frivolous things unnecessarily. So one of the things that was a bit of a chuckle when I reread it um, in preparation for this was he did sort of cite Donald Trump as um, someone to look up to from an investment <laughs> yeah. uh, and personal finance perspective. So um, yeah, I don't know if he had his time over again. I don't know whether he'd, <laughs> he'd write, write that one in there. So um, yeah, other than that, I think that was... Um, yeah, really good. So I think that's a good, easy read for people to sort of pick up. And was it a I big think, book, short book? It's a, it's fat book, but the text is big, which I okay. like. So yep. you feel like you're sort of really ripping Smashing through the pages. Through it. Yeah. And if anyone wants to come into the office and borrow a copy because they don't want to buy one, I'm happy to share that as well. Perfect. Uh, so my first book I've got is Predictably Irrational um, by Dan O'Reilly. Um, nice. So this one's very much about behavioral finance. So something that I'm very interested in. And the main point of this is kind of showing, uh, and it's something that we're big in, is the idea of not getting caught up in your emotions when you're investing or dealing with your finances and more following what you should be doing rather than reacting to what you're feeling at the time. Uh, So a lot of this focuses around the idea that uh, when markets are high and things are going well and everything's green, then investors tend to be more bullish, obviously, and um, start to buy more and more when it's not necessarily the best time to be doing so. Um, And then on the flip side, when things are starting to look a bit grim and there's red everywhere, um, people are more likely to sell when it's not the right time to do so. So it's kind of all about taking your emotions out of investing um, and just sorting out a plan at the start and making sure you stick to it. Yeah, and look, I think it is is a hell of a lot easier to sort of buy things when everything's going well, so. But that's not how the biggest profits are made. The biggest profits are made by sort of being bold and sticking to the plan. Yeah, and it's also, uh, there's a few lessons in there that um, have been important for me, especially around the price anchoring. So I know this is one um, that we've spoken about a anchoring bit. but um, Good luck. If you can solve that problem, then you, uh, <laughs> you'll save people you know, millions and millions of dollars. So for those of you out there that aren't sure what that is, so that's where, um, say, there's a company that you're excited about and you like uh, the idea of it and you've done some research into it, but maybe the day before you go to buy it goes up 15, 20% and you go, oh no, I'll hold off and I'll wait for it to go back down because you knew the price it was was at a couple of days ago and therefore that turns you off investing in it. Or even when you're looking to buy Afterpay for like $5 and you're refusing to pay $5.80. <laughs> is, is this the one that you've had? <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> someone I know huh? T- talking for a friend. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. So you sometimes you just got to jump in and sort of forget about the target or the price that you had in mind. So, um, you know, you will sort of forget about that initial starting point if it's sort of, you know, know, hundreds of percent in profit in the future. Uh, Yeah, and it also had a few other lessons in there. Like for instance, the mental side of, you know, is a $4,000 couch more comfortable than a $400 couch? Well, I'm not necessarily sure 
but it's I can tell you my couch, which is not four thousand dollars, <laughs> but it's it's definitely more comfortable than a four hundred dollar couch <laughs> yeah. that I've sat on. So, but it's that idea of that: Are you spending money just for the the sake of it instead of doing research and trying things out instead of just going, oh, this is more expensive, so it has to be better. Oh, it's it's um, actual value, and it is because a lot of the times you stick a logo on something, is, is the quality actually better? Hmm. I don't know. I find that with socks actually. I think um, shout out to Kmart for some of their socks, you know. Um, <laughs> Very, very low, low cost, but they, they last and keep on lasting. And I know my happy socks, um, I always get holes in the toes, which is really frustrating. And they're sort of, what, five times the price. So, yeah, yeah I think val- value is an important thing as well. So cheapest isn't always best, but most expensive is not always best either. That's it. So what's your book number two? Uh, this one's not a purely financial book, so I'll, uh, well, I'm going to allow myself to have it anyway. So The 4-Hour Workweek. Right. Uh, by Tim Ferriss. So, so something you've put into place or? Uh, for a week at a time. Yeah, no, but I haven't actually been able to roll it out into full totality ever. But this is one I read very, very early on in my sort of working life. But um, yeah, I'm, I don't think four hours is actually feasible for the majority of the population necessarily. But So what's the concept for those of us who haven't read it? Like, is it actually you only work four hours oh, here's one. a week? Yeah, he's or? actually done it. So you know, it's, he really autopilots everything and sets up online businesses and um, outsources things that he doesn't sort of value doing. Um, but the, the big takeaways for me were really, it's all about time. So valuing time and sort of he talks about the new rich um, where true wealth is actually having time and the resources, the financial resources to do things you want. Um, and don't delay it till the end. So a lot of people, the traditional retirement is save, 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 work, 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 hate work, hate your life potentially, and then enjoy, hopefully you will enjoy it all at the end. Whereas this one talks about sort of mini retirements, taking some breaks, so taking some time to you know, smell the roses while you, you, you can. And what it does, it actually extends your career and your working life because you're doing things you're passionate about and you're taking sort of some breaks to do it. So um, that new rich concept of you know, enjoying some sort of luxury and luxury means different things to different people, but enjoying that, the journey. So making the journey a fun process as opposed to sort of delaying everything till the end. Um, and I do like the autopiloting stuff, but I, I guess the way we would look at it from a more accessible and realistic um, standpoint would be you know, setting up investments that generate passive income. Um, so mm. I think that's, a, that's an achievable, that's something that anyone can do, you know, get your investments happening, let compound interest do its work, build up the portfolio and then at some point turn on the tap and you might be doing that like, you know, we talk about it all the time, like if you, if you don't want to access your funds or sort of retire at the tr- traditional age, putting some money into an investment portfolio in your personal name or in a trust or another structure that's accessible, you know, you could access that, that at age 40 and go, hey, I'm taking six months off. So I'm taking a career break. I'm going to travel with my family. I'm going to travel by myself or, I don't know, do things like, what do we, you know, go on to Boomers versus USA, you know, these yeah. sort of things. So whatever, whatever floats your boats, but enjoy it and do stuff now. So, um, and the other thing is really, you know, true productivity is sort of, I don't know, do less with, do more with less, which yep. is really cool. So. Um, don't just sort of work and sort of work long hours just because you know that's what everyone thinks you should do. Just be efficient and be effective with your time. So, and I like that one. So that, that got me going. I've sort of um, reread that several times, but no, I have not ever achieved a four-hour work week. Have you got close or no? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I do feel like I have a, a very good work-life balance. Yeah. yeah, and you learned a lot from the book. Just weren't. It's a, four hours is a big stretch. 
But there's yeah, um, good principles within it. But it does get you it. thinking about it. I'll, I'll do like the outsourcing thing. Like outsource stuff, like value your time. And that's, I think that fundamental principle stayed with me. Mm. Um, and also the, the find something you're passionate about. Well, then so, we went to a seminar earlier this week with someone else discussing the different um, ways in which offices are changing, you know, like doing a four-hour, four-day week. You're hitting me up on live, live uh, <laughs> radio or podcasts yeah. to go, hey, let's work less. <laughs> um, but they're saying that the... Um, a lot of results were quite surprising, you know, doing a four-day week or a nine-day fortnight and um, a lot of companies are starting to, you know, finish earlier on a Friday and things like that. Well, so the notion is, of... Jeez. Um, or maybe do a two-day week here and there. Two-day week, <laughs> four-hour week. Right, Five-day weekend. You got me, cool. Yeah. Um, but the notion of that, you know, you're working nine to five every day, off, um, workers are kind of changing that at the moment. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely changing. Um, so book number two for me is 25 Years of Wit and Wisdom by Noel Whitaker. So a few listeners out there might know of Noel for writing in The, um, the Age down here in Melbourne and um, writes in a few papers around. It's, it's been the Fairfax ones, isn't it? Yeah, and been a kind of stalwart of the Australian financial scene for quite a, a while. Um, and this book is really about his columns and has all these excerpts from the, the newspapers throughout those 25 years. Um, and the notion is that, you know, the, whilst the legislation and everything may change, the basic principles of, you know, good financial management remains the same. Well, that's pretty much your lifetime, isn't it? Or... Yeah, well, I'm 26, so um, it's only been one year. So it's been interesting to kind of look in and you see the different prime minister names and things like that. But the overall uh, strategies that he talks about and things like that largely remain relevant. Uh, to this day that he that he started writing about 25 years ago. And that's a really good one to actually pick up hard copy because it is like little, um, almost like snippets of um, all the actual articles that have been published as well. So yeah, a uh, very good experience. So very, uh, I like that one. So. Yeah, and then at the start of his book, uh, he dedicates it to the young people today as he says they're in the unique position of being the first generation who may spend more time in retirement than they do at work and for them, money skills are a must. So that's a big thing. Uh, that I'm quite passionate about, um, and obviously he is as well. That's, a, that's the most frustrating thing. Like, when do you ever learn about personal finance or that's how it, not know, to get into credit? Pythagoras card. theorem, you don't know how to pay tax or what tax is. Uh, I've still got a lot of mates out there who message me at tax time and just literally have no idea do you why to, they do aren't getting... Do you want to call getting... any of them out and yeah. sort of uh, <laughs> throw anyone under the bus here? I don't... Yeah, <laughs> I won't do any... Call any names. Uh, Daniel. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting that you know we don't teach that in the schools at all when it becomes and it's something that i think is vitally important um especially in the fact that people just automatically assume they're entitled to a tax refund once they've done their tax return um when that's usually shouldn't be the case like usually you should have just paid the right amount of tax and things are about even uh but that's not necessarily how it always pans out. Um, so yeah, I, th- I definitely think that's it's a great book for people who are just starting, starting out, or for people to have a look back on. You know, um, get a bit nostalgic about the last twenty five years of Australian financial reform. Yeah, it sends home a good message, well, not to overreact to short term news or sort of the, uh, the the daily machinations of what's happening in the press all the time. So hmm. um, yeah, no, good one. I like it. What's your third book? Uh, this one's a, like very much aligns with um, well, financial planning, so uh, no shock that it's in here. So The Behaviour Gap by Carl Richards. Uh, you read this one, Zach? 
I've had a little read of it. Oh, Carl's going to be very, very disappointed. <laughs> so, um, but this one, like the behaviour gaps, really. Um, I guess the essence of it is that what the performance that most people experience with their portfolios and their sort of their wealth creation journey is not what it should be. So there's a gap between what you should be getting, so i.e., what I guess the index would, and then from all the you know the human biases that we have, that's the behaviour gap of going, okay, you actually get this result. So the thing in between what you should have got and what you actually got is that that's the behavior gap in between those two. So yeah. um, is yeah, that what we kind of spoke about in the predictably irrational of the you know you're letting your emotions yeah probably your and just poor, and just like you know not making good decisions, which making good money decisions is not not that simple um, mm. because there's a lot of emotion that comes in uh, to money decisions because it's not about the money like that's the thing it's about all the things that money brings. Um, so that's a big one. He's, yeah, and his big thing is sort of ignore the uh, financial pornography network, which is the media. So saying, don't get your financial advice from the media. Stick to your goals. Actually have a plan. Uh, and he really talks about things that sort of resonate a lot with me where money you know, can only buy so much happiness. So you've got to go, well, at the end of the day, money is just a tool to pursue your personal goals. So he's big on sort of doing that um, and actually sort of distilling them down into something you can actually, uh, you know, aim for. Um, so I like that, like that one sort of hits home and then the other, I love the, he's got a sort of quote in there, I'm going to probably misquote it a little bit, but making Paraphrase. good financial decisions and choices is boring. Um, and it is. Good financial management is boring because it just works. Um, and it takes time, but that's sort of, it's a journey. So um, yeah, I really, really like this one. So I'd say for people starting out who perhaps feel like maybe financial advice is not accessible, they haven't got, they don't want to invest the, the funds in it. This is a really good book to actually self-start and um, yeah, build a, almost like a start to document and map out sort of a financial strategy for yourself to get started as well. So um, yeah, really, really like that one. So I'd sort of highly recommend it. And that's it. The, um, and my point... three weren't in, in any particular order, by the way. They're yeah. just three really high quality yes, books. Yes, that's the same with mine. Um, the, the point about not getting your financial information just from the the media is a good one as well i know it frustrates us when you um hop onto like a news.com.au and see bloodbath on the asx and it's dropped well, the best one when is it doesn't like, talk about you nah, know it's, it's the best gone up when they say the dollar figure oh this many billion got wiped off oh <laughs> yeah. how many percentage points is that like, at the yeah. end of the day like the dollar values yeah are billions get... wiped off the asx yeah. it's down one and a half percent come on oh gosh this is like the we're back to where we were like last month dropped from record highs. They're like, come on. They, obviously, there's a 24-hour news cycle, but that's part of the problems. Like, you shouldn't be looking at your portfolio every second of every day and thinking about, ah, oh, what's moved or sort of you know, that micro moves. It's, it's a long-term game. You've got to play a long-term game. That's it. Uh, so my third and final book is The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley. Now, I know you've read this one as well pretty recently. I like it. Um, I like it. I like the... Uh, a lot of the themes in this one, very good. It is very American though. Yeah, so it's the main thing, you know, trying not to keep up with the Joneses and redefining what wealth and affluence is. It's not usually the people that are walking around in a Balenciaga hoodie for, you know, fifteen hundred, two grand and um, spending money on frivolous yeah. purchases like that. They're saying it's definitely not the, it's the typical millionaire next door is not the, no, not glitz and glamour, it's... They're normal people that invest their money and spend their money wisely. Yeah, and it talks a lot about the moment you earn more than you need to live, um, you need to save as much responsibly as you can and avoid spending cash on things you don't need. So that's 
a big thing that we kind of uh, talk about a lot is the fact that even when people get pay rises, um, they don't necessarily end up saving more money. And it's not as though their core expenses have gotten more. Um, it's just they then think they need to have a lifestyle creep or creep into a new, a different lifestyle bracket and start spending more money on different things that they weren't in the past, which um, aren't necessarily too important. Um, so yeah, it's really a lot about uh, putting away money and saving and uh, not trying to worry too much about what your neighbor might be doing or trying to impress anyone, um, but more so sticking to your, your strategy and spending money on advice um, to get you going. Yeah, the big like that was a big part of it as well because like financial independence is how they're measuring wealth, um, which is very different to cash flow. Like there's like a lot of people who are high income earners have no wealth because they just keep spending everything that comes in. Mm. Um, they're saying a lot of the the wealthiest people in America spend a lot of their money on advice. So advice on legal matters, advice on taxation matters, and advice on investment and sort of fi- financial advice. So I can see why you picked this one, Zach. It also speaks about a lot about, um, you know, tax and things like that as well. Like saying, you know, when people say I've earned X amount, well, a lot of that's chewed up by tax, which people don't think about yeah. um, either. And one tiny uh, little sliver in there, which I don't know how they framed it exactly, but it's um, millionaires invest in things they know. I didn't love the examples they gave in here because it's sort of like going, okay, the person who is an antiques collector. Why are they investing in the share market? They should just invest in antiques. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of that. I think- Diversify. You gotta, yeah. I think diversify, so I sort of be aware of that, but I'd say like your circle of competence, like it is. it does make sense to sort of stick into stuff that you're at least interested or familiar with or get advice on it. That would be my asterisk. You know, or get advice or you know, maybe sort of diversify so you are spreading that risk. But yeah, I don't think, you know, necessarily if you're a, like if you're in some sort of sales role, you only invest in that sort of micro niche of the world. Um, so, but I do like the concept, the circle of competence thing of going. Yeah, you, know, you can overweight and sort of focus on areas you're passionate or sort of um, very familiar with. Awesome. So those are our top three finance books each. Um, I think we got a copy of pretty much most of them here well, in the all office. In here. I've written my copy. name in all of them because if you do come, if you do come and got borrow it, please bring it back. Yeah, um, I, I do like to hang on to my hard copy. Charge late fees. Yeah, I don't know. There's something nice about reading a hard copy book. I, I like it. Um, and an honourable mention. I know. We'll, I was sort of there was another Nordicad one that I was um, looking at, which is Golden Rules of Wealth, which is just really a a one one stop shop for sort of all the you know best principles of sort of wealth management. Um, and I know what Noel's actually doing a, a an update of this um, coming out sort of in the next few months and one of the Picada crew may actually be quoted in the book, which is oh. pretty exciting. Is so, it you? No, it's not me. <laughs> so it me? happy to shout out. Is it me so, or not? No, it's definitely not you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, Rhiannon uh, might, might be, uh, you know, we're waiting to get the coffees hot off the press. So, um, so we're thinking Rhiannon will be sort of uh, present in that book. So it would be pretty exciting. So um, that might, well, we might do a bit of a summary on that sort of when that comes out as well. So awesome. Um, yeah, good stuff. So, Hope you enjoyed the show today. Uh, if you've got any questions, definitely sort of get in touch at connect at picada.com.au or any of our socials. And then if you've enjoyed it, you know, feel free to share it because the more we can get the word out there, then the more people can benefit from you know, talking about money and sort of getting their finances going. So we'll uh, see you all next week. Cheers. Thanks for tuning into the Wealth Collective podcast. You can get in touch with us and send any questions to connect at picada.com.au 
or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. If you have enjoyed this, then please subscribe and five-star us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service. Until next time, live well and be prosperous.